Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're actually going to look at a verse, verse 29. We're going to look at a section there. But we're going to see in passages that we call them hard. Now, we call them hard for several reasons. One, it's hard because it's difficult to understand what they're talking about or dealing with. And this is one of those because he says in verse 29, otherwise what will those who are baptized for the what, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? We'll just stop right there. What, what does that mean? Have you ever heard of people being baptized for dead people? That kind of thing. And, and so they're hard because they're just difficult to understand. Sometimes they're hard because they seem to be saying something contrary to the rest of the Scripture. And so we've seen different ones as we've gone over these weeks, these, first of all, eight lessons now, we're in lesson nine, how it fits together. We already know that salvation is not by works, it's simply by faith. You can't lose salvation, that kind of thing. So here is a, a passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, baptism for the dead. Now the reason I bring this up, there are, has been estimated that there are close to 200 different interpretations of what this verse means. You know, and, and based on how looking at First Corinthians and what this verse says and all those kind of things, we're not going to give you very many of those, but uh, we just want you to see how it fits together, what it all does. Uh, can a person be baptized for somebody who's already dead? Or what about how it fits? Well, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the false view of the Mormon church because Mormons use this. They've taken this verse out of context and they built a whole doctrine on one verse, and we'll talk about it. And then we're going to understand the flow of First Corinthians, how that flows. And then we're going to talk about standing for Christ. And what does it mean to be baptized for the dead or uh, be identified with the dead or for the dead? So let's start by saying this. Baptism is one of the two ordinances that God established. There's the Lord's Supper and baptism that the church is to carry out. Baptism is really a picture of our salvation. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we get baptized, showing that we have put our faith in Him. And the Lord's Supper is a picture of our fellowship. So think about it. Baptism since you, you get saved one time, you believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved, you get baptized one time, identifying, showing people that you have believed in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Now, the Lord's Supper is a picture of fellowship, so we do the Lord's Supper ongoing, which is your idea of saying, I'm gonna, I'm, this is my, showing my ongoing fellowship with God. So baptism is one time, Lord's Supper is ongoing. In 1 Corinthians 15, 29, it talks about people who are baptized for the dead. Well, we're, we're going to talk about this because the idea is baptism and what does that mean? And we've already looked at Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, and John 3.5 dealing with the idea of baptism. So the truth is this, that we already know. The ritual of baptism has nothing to do with salvation. We've already seen that. Some people think that you have to be baptized to be saved. We saw those verses like Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, John 3.5. We've looked at all those, and we said that, no, it's faith alone and Christ alone. That means something totally different there. But what about this one? Because 1 Corinthians 15.29 says, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? What, what does that mean? I don't know if you've seen this verse before. Now, we taught 1 Corinthians a long time ago, so we dealt with it when we went through 1 Corinthians, but you may have never actually looked at this verse, or you may have never thought about this verse. And as I said to you, there are a lot of interpretations. People say, well, it means this, or it means this, or it means this, or it means this. So let's start with the, the false view of the Mormon church. So let me give you an interpretation. It's wrong. But the major interpretation of the Mormons, and they built an entire doctrine around that. And uh, let me just give you some background. The Mormons came from a guy by the name of Joseph Smith, and then ultimately a guy named Brigham Young. Joseph Smith said 
that an angel named Moroni came to him and gave him a different message. Okay, now first of all, Paul wrote in Galatians that if he or an angel ever came and gave a different message, that, that per, they should be accursed. So Joseph Smith's whole thing comes from an angel who gives him a different message, which shows you that's contrary to Scripture to begin with. Second is, he basically said to him, everybody else has been wrong all the way up to right now. So from now on, this Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you're the right ones. And so that's where they've been going. And we think about the Mormons church, there are a number of things that the Mormon church says that you have to do to be saved. You have to believe in Christ. They didn't say believe in him for eternal life. It said just believe there's Christ, get baptized, be obedient to the teaching of the church, do good works, and keep the commandments. That's just some of them. Listen, if you go to the Mormon doctrines of things, there's like eight or nine things that you must do in order to be saved or even stay saved. There's another one that they never, they don't mention a whole lot or talk about, but it is baptism for the dead. Now, let me just tell you what this is. They believe that if you had Uncle John and Uncle John died and you wanted to save Uncle John, you would go and get baptized for Uncle John, even though he's already dead, you get baptized for him, and that saves Uncle John. Here's the Mormon doctrine from their edition in 1977. This hadn't changed. Baptism for the dead opens the door to the celestial kingdom to worthy persons who did not undergo gospel schooling while immorality, meaning immortality. Well, while they're still alive physically, they never got the message of what the Mormons teach, and so they died. And so, baptism for the dead opens the door so that they can get to go to the celestial kingdom. They have to be worthy, whatever that means. And so, somebody's going to be baptized for Uncle John, and then Uncle John automatically gets to go to the kingdom. Now, how many of you believe that? None of us, okay? But that's what they believe. And they got that from this verse. They built an entire doctrine around it. So while they were alive, they didn't believe the Mormon way, but afterwards they, they, you know, they come and they do that for them. So uh, can a dead person uh, get to go to heaven because what somebody else did to them? First of all, I want you to think about three things. Number one, baptism is never for salvation. It doesn't matter who does it or when they do it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of what? Works lest anyone should. Not anything that you do. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So the baptism has nothing to do with salvation. We've already seen this. Second is our actions, our baptism cannot save another person. Guess what? We are not the Savior. We're not the Savior. We can't do something and save somebody else. Uh, There's only one Savior. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only Savior. And the third thing is that once a person dies, it's too late. The Bible says it's appointed for men to die once, and after that, the what? The judgment. There's not going to be second chances. I've had people say, well, when people die and they go to like the lake of fire, are they going to get another chance? No, the, 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 the chance is why you're alive. This is when you have the opportunity. So let's think through this. What, uh, so how does this tie together? What does baptism mean? It means to dip or identify. Now, when we think about baptism, 
A lot of people automatically think of water baptism. Although most of the places in the scripture when it talks about baptism, it's not water baptism. Just understand that. Baptism means to identify. It means to be placed in union. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are placed in union with Jesus. And when he died and rose again, Romans chapter 6 says, you actually died and rose again with Christ to a new life. Now, when we do a water baptism, it's because a person has already believed in Christ for eternal life, and they want to give a testimony to show everybody they're identified with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they get in the water, and we go down and up, which is a symbolic idea of they died and rose again with Christ to a new life. This doesn't save them. They're already saved, and they're announcing to people that they've saved. So baptism is identification, okay? So then, with that in mind, let's look at First, the, the first Corinthians. We're going to get to first 15, uh, chapter 15 in just a minute, but I want you to understand the flow of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1 is Paul basically introduces himself to them, and then all the way through, they got problems. Chapters 2 and 3, disunity. Chapter 5, sexual sins. Chapter 6, lawsuits. Chapter 8, sacrificing to idols. Chapter 11, Lord's Supper. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, spiritual gifts. And chapter 15, resurrection. Well, what do you mean? There were people teaching in the Corinthian church, that there is no resurrection from the dead, that you don't rise from the dead. It's over. When you die, it's over. There were people in the church at Corinth teaching that. Okay? I just want you to understand that. There were people in Corinth teaching about sexual sin and about lawsuits and sacrificing to idols, and and there were people coming to the Lord's Supper getting drunk. There were people teaching that only certain spiritual gifts were really big. And So Paul has to correct all of this. I mean, when we talk about the first the church at Corinth, it was probably the craziest, wildest church in existence at that time because they had every issue that you could name. And I think that's why God put 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in the Scripture so we could learn from them. In chapter 15, resurrection, and there were people saying in the Corinthian church that Jesus didn't rise again and there will be no resurrection of the dead. Okay. That's, that's sort of the issue. And so we're going to talk about this deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter of the Bible. So it tells us about resurrection. So look at verse 12. I want you to see the flow. It says, now if, and it's true, Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. Who preached that? Who preached that Christ had been raised from the dead? Paul, everybody. I mean, Paul, Peter, James, John, they proclaimed it. Jesus said, it's me. I've come back from the dead. Paul said, in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. I mean, we all talked about it. There there was one where Paul actually says, they saw him, and these people saw him, and these people saw him, and then I saw him, 500 people saw him. So he says, if it's true that Jesus has preached, that Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. He raises the question. People are going around saying there's no resurrection, but we've been telling everybody Jesus died and rose again, and what's going to happen to everybody else? They're going to be raised from the dead. But in Corinth, some people were teaching, no, they're not. They're not. So Paul then began to say, okay, if this is true, let's talk about what happens if there is no resurrection. And without going to all the details, because we've taught this many times, in verse 14, he says, if there's no resurrection, our message is wrong. We give false witnesses because we told that Jesus rose again and he didn't. Their sins are still not paid for, so we're still in our sins, and there's no hope. 
So he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, you got nothing. You got no payment for sin. You're still in sins. You're not, there's, we, we're giving out a false message and everything else. So Paul goes through that thing. And then he stops. And he says in verse 20, look what he says, but. What, what, do, you see when you, what, what do you get when you see this but? What do you get? It's a contrast, exactly. He's been saying, if no resurrection, if no resurrection, if no resurrection, if no resurrection. And in verse 20 says, but Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He's the first one to ever come back from the dead. He says, but Christ has been raised. This is the contrast. He's the first fruits from the dead. He's the first one to ever come back from the dead, never to die again. And so he goes through and talks about in his own order and in Christ, Adam, and Adam all die. Christ are all made alive. are all going to come at exactly the right time. Death's been abolished. Look at verse 26. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. So death is abolished. And then look at verse 27. He basically says, uh, 27, 28, uh, the death is abolished and he's going to come to rule for when he has put all things and subjected under his feet, he's going to be the one that rules. In verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, the son himself will be subjected and God will be all in all. He says, it's going to be great victory. Jesus has risen from the dead. One of these days, it's going to all become together. We're all going to be raised up and we're all going to be with Jesus forever. Is that true? It is true. What happens when Jesus... Uh, what, what happens to a person when they die? Their body goes in the ground and the soul and spirit goes to be with Jesus, to be absent from the body's presence of the Lord. When Jesus comes in the clouds for us, what's going to happen to their bodies? The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive remain to be changed, caught up together. So there's going to be a resurrection. We also know that at the end of the tribulation, there's a resurrection of the Old Testament saints. We know that at the end of the uh, of the uh, the tribulation, uh, at the end of tribulation, Old Testament saints, and then there's going to be the tribulation saints will be raised from the dead, the ones that died. So everybody's going to be raised from the dead. And so he says, when it's all raised from the dead, Jesus Christ is going to rule it all. And so right in the middle of all that, he then says, verse 29, what does he say? He says that God's going to be all in all. Otherwise, what will those who are baptized, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead aren't raised at all, why are they baptized for them? Now, what in the world does that mean? So let's take it to the third section, which is standing for Christ. And let me let, me let you understand what he's saying. So what if right now, every time people stood for Christ in our culture, that they got arrested and most of the time got killed? Right? And so you want to identify with them. You're saying, well, I know they get killed, but you know what? If they get killed, what's going to happen to them? Eventually, they're going to be raised from the dead. So I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to say, hey, they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. They may kill me, but what's going to happen if they kill me? I'm going to be raised from the dead. Paul says this, because that's what was happening. There were believers being captured and killed for their faith. So Paul says, if there's no resurrection why in the world would you identify with those who are getting killed for their faith if there's no resurrection? You'd say, well, I'm going to identify with them. Well, why would you identify with them? Well, because I'm going to die and that'll be the end of it. No, you wouldn't do that. And so what he says, and let me put this up and then we can talk about it as well. It's why identify and die if there's no resurrection? He's not saying go get baptized. He's not talking about water baptism. He's saying, why would you identify with Christians who get killed for their faith if there's no resurrection, 
Because what happens when you die if there's no resurrection? That's the end of it. Now, we say, no, no, no. If they die, they're going to be raised. So I'm going to identify and say, hey, I'm a Christian too. If you kill me, guess what? I'm going to be raised. But Paul says, why would you identify with, with those who have already died if there's no resurrection? And that's what he's saying. First Corinthians, otherwise, what will those do who are identified? Just remember, identified for the dead. Because if the dead aren't raised at all, then why are you identified for them? Why would you do it? Why would you risk your life if there's no resurrection? Why would you get killed if that's the end, if you're standing for nothing? Remember he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, you got nothing. Let me look at it this way. If there's no resurrection, what would be the point in being baptized or identified with someone, not ritual baptism, but identifying with them? What would be the point if there's no resurrection? Look at this. Those who had already died for their faith, what would be the point of identifying with them and dying if there's no resurrection? I think the best explanation out of the 200 is that he's saying, listen, why would you identify with people who are going to get killed if there's no resurrection? If that's the end, why would you identify with them? Now, naturally, you would identify with them if there's resurrection. Why? Because they're going to live again, and you are too. And you'd say, they can kill me all they want to, but I'm coming back. But would you say, they can kill me all they want to, and I ain't coming back, so I'm going to identify with them? And you'd say, you're an idiot. Why would you identify with them? So Paul raises the point and says, if you're saying there's no resurrection, then why are people dying for Christ and identifying with other people who've died for Christ if there's no resurrection? Why stand and die with those who have already died if there's no resurrection. Wow. So to be baptized, I think the best way to look at it is to be baptized for the dead is to say, I'm going to identify with those who have already gotten killed for their faith. I'm going to say, I'm the same as them. And if there wasn't a resurrection, why in the world would you do that? Because you're just going to get yourself killed for no reason. Paul goes on to write, look at verse 30. For why... Why, why are we also in danger every hour? What does he mean by that? What happened to Christians in those days? They killed a bunch of them. They set them on fire. They let animals eat them up. They did everything they could to kill them. And Paul is saying, if there's no resurrection, why would you want to identify with Christianity and get killed if there's nothing to it, if it all ends when you die? That's what he's saying. That's what I think he's saying. Now, you can look up and try to find 200 other interpretations, or you can do what the Mormons do and just say you can save somebody who's already died, which we know is ridiculous. So I think that's what he's saying. Look, look how he ends this. Verse 32. If, if from human motives, he says, if this is just human beings, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, and he's talking about enemies to kill him. What does it profit me? Listen, if we speak about it from human speaking and not God speaking, what does it do you any good to battle your life and maybe give your life if there's nothing to it? And he goes on to say, because if the dead aren't raised, watch, let's eat and drink. For tomorrow you may die. He said, let's just go on with life and live and do whatever you want to do because there's no resurrection. You sure don't want to get in there and let the wild beast eat you up. You don't want to say, I'm a Christian and let everybody kill you. 
Listen, what's the worst they could do to us? Anybody. What's the worst they could do to us? They could kill us, right? But what do we say? It doesn't matter. Because one of these, if they kill me right now, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And when Jesus comes, what's going to happen to my body? Raised up, we're together, right? That's the worst that can happen is they kill you. That's why Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's what it's all about. So Paul writes here, and some people are saying, there is no resurrection. And he said, if there's no resurrection, why would you go around identifying with people who have already died for their faith and you want to get the same thing happen to you if it doesn't count, if there's nothing to it? That's what it's all about. Okay, we got, give me any questions, input, let's go. This is a hard one. It's a weird one. No questions? Because you're going to go to grow group early. Okay, yes. What's the point of what? It says point right here. And... Yeah, the point is, if, if there's no resurrection, why would you die for your faith? That's basically it. Why would you identify with people who get killed for their faith if there is nothing to live for? There's not going to be any resurrection. I mean, I think it's a hard passage, but the only reason I brought it out, the only reason I picked this one, is because you're going to run into people who actually tell you that there are people that get baptized for dead people and it automatically saves them. And you go, where did you get that? And they'll go to this verse. And you can tell them, no, no, this is dealing with resurrection of Jesus Christ and about the fact that why would you identify with believers who get killed if, there's no, if, if death is the end? Does that make sense? Does this make sense? By the way, I, I just wanted to throw this out. I was listening to a, a, a video, a audio thing, um, a podcast, and they're talking about this uh, kind of a new movement, uh, uh, reformed. I think it's Reformation ap, uh, Apostolic. Yeah, and they've got people. They teach that you go to the grave of somebody who's already dead, who was a righteous person. And you lay on their grave, and the spirit of that person will come in you and make you wise. They're teaching that. So let me just say this. If you think that's weird, being baptized for somebody that's already dead is weird. There are all kind of views out there that you're going to hear that are really weird. I just wanted you to look at this one and say, okay, baptism for the dead means, do I identify with those who get killed for their faith, and I may get killed for my faith, Do I do that if there's no resurrection? The answer is no, you wouldn't. But Paul says, you will, because there is resurrection. Okay. Questions? Input? Yes? I I find it interesting that the religion that has so many requirements for salvation, like, dispenses with them all. Yeah. Right, right. It it is funny. Her Her point is fantastic. She said, like the Mormons... They have like six or seven things you have to do to get saved. But for somebody that's already dead that didn't believe, you can go get baptized for them and it saves them. <laughs> but in the Mormons, you have to be special in the church before you can really qualify to do this baptism. Well, you, you might have to. You, you, the, you have to assume that the person is worthy, that the person who's dead is worthy, and then you can somehow identify with them and get baptized for them and save them. But it was my understanding that are kind of high in the church. I, I, I don't know all that, so but it's possible. To, yeah. You know, well, yeah, you got to qualify to save somebody when they're already dead. You surely need to qualify that. You're exactly right. You could be 
baptized 40 times in one day. That way you would take care of 40 different people. Exactly. And that, that's what happens sometimes. There are numerous views. Uh, let, let's just say this simply. And she brought it out. You've got a group that has seven or eight things to do to, in order to be saved. What do you do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's all it is. And yet they got seven or eight things. But then they come up with something weird like baptize, get yourself baptized for that dead person and that automatically saves them. Yeah, Doug. It sounds, it sounds real reminiscent of the Catholic belief too of praying to the saints. Right, right. That, uh, Doug brought that out in, the, in Catholicism. You pray to saints. Also, I don't know if you know this, but you know what last rites are? Listen, I, I took a course on Roman Catholic theology when I was at Dallas Seminary, and I'm, I'm just going to say it in the nicest way. Uh, most of the major doctrines of the Scripture have been changed by the Catholic Church, but there's a thing called last rites, and that is if a person dies and a priest could get to them in a certain amount of time, even though they're already dead, by confessing last rites over them, they can be saved. That's taught. It's not always ta told about, but that's taught as well. So there's a lot of... Out there, y'all, there are all kind of things. And the simple truth of the Scripture is overlooked that Jesus died and rose again. Whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That is all overlooked. All this other stuff is there. And what you find is just a bunch of man-made religion instead of the Scripture. And it really breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. Okay, what else? Any other questions before we break? Uh, oh, yeah. Let me get over there. Is that you? Yeah. This is my good friend. So I'm trying to take the, the most positive perspective about the people that were sort of preaching incorrectly. I'm trying yeah, to I, I don't take it too positively, so, but you can. So okay. No, what I'm saying is okay. I think that they were probably caught up in the fact that they thought, well, look, once you die, you ascend to heaven, and that's all there is. They really didn't think about the, the next phase. Okay, wait a minute. You're talking about the Mormons no, or no, who? No, 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 no. In, in what Paul is talking about and the people that were in Corinth that were, that were preaching incorrectly, mm -hmm. I think th I'm trying to give them the best light of them saying, look, once you die, you, your soul ascends to heaven and you're with Christ. Okay, they, oh, I see what you're saying. They, weren't, they, weren't, they just weren't following into the last phase. Right. The problem is that they ignore the teaching of the resurrection of the body, yeah. of the fact that you're going to be on the earth, yeah. of the fact you're going to serve Jesus forever, and that... You know, if, if all when you die is you just go to heaven, the Bible doesn't even talk about it. Being in heaven is a very short time because there's going to be a millennial kingdom. And they, so I see what you're saying. They were saying, once you die, you die, and there is no physical body after that. Exactly. But the truth is there is a physical body, and Paul taught that, Jesus taught that, and so they were missing that. You're right. And, and that's why he corrects them. And he really corrects them by saying, if there is nothing left after this, then why in the world would you identify with people who are getting killed for their faith? If there's nothing else, you're, you're right, okay? Here's the great thing. God is so good. When we die, the body somehow goes in the ground or whatever, and we go to be with the Lord, and then when Jesus comes back, he raises that body. Now, what about bodies that are burned? What about cremation? What about somebody that got blown up in the war? What about any of those things? God is so great that he can take wherever that body is or whatever happened to that body, and he can bring it all back together and raise that body from the grave. That's what it says. So it's... Well, he's, right, yeah, he can do he can do anything. So, a, a lot of people there used to be a teaching that you should never uh, cremate anybody because you burn up the body and then there won't be anything for Jesus to raise. He can raise anything. He can raise the person back. So we don't have to worry about that because uh, you always think about what happened uh, in a war and a. 
a bomb goes off and destroys people. I mean, there's nothing left of them. Yeah, so does that help? That God can raise it all up, yeah. Yeah, right. If you, st- if you stay in the ground long enough, you're just going to be dust. It's, no, it's never. Yeah, good point. Uh, the po- the good point is that baptism for the dead is not mentioned any place else in Scripture. And so that's why I think Paul is just saying, why identify with those who have died if there's no resurrection? But what happens is the Mormons have taken that one verse and made an entire doctrine that saves people off one verse that's never mentioned any place else in the Bible and contradicts almost everything else in the Bible. So that's a good point.